Good evening, and welcome to the first installment of I'm the Triangle for the spring semester of 2011. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Hope everyone enjoyed their day off yesterday. This week, we wanted to focus our show around Martin Luther King Day. And to accomplish this, I sat down with Miss Tony Thorpe of the African American Cultural Center to talk about the AACC and Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mark Hart... Mark Herring took a trip to the Norman Rockwell exhibit at the North Carolina Museum of Art to look at some of Rockwell's later works that surrounded racial inequality, and Jacob Downey went downtown to discuss racial apathy. We will have readings from authors published in this year's Windover, NC State's literary magazine, weather, sports, and later, some representatives from the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association will stop by to talk about their club. So stay tuned here on 881 WKNC for all this and more on Eye on the Triangle. We'll start our show tonight with Mark Herring's report from the North Carolina Museum of Art's Rockwell exhibit. The current Norman Rockwell exhibition at the North Carolina Museum of Art features the quintessential scenes and cross-sections of American life. Rockwell mastered delivering the classic, comically unfortunate, and sentimental moments of life through his paintings. However, there is one problem. Nearly all the caricatures and portraits featured are of white people. We all know Norman Rockwell for the happy-go-lucky paintings of common American life. Featured for decades in the Saturday Evening Post, a bi-monthly current event magazine that ran through the 1900s, Rockwell's most celebrated paintings include his self-portraits, the war bond posters of the Four Freedoms, and his depictions of the carefree childhood. Viewing the gallery stirs up cheerful feelings. However, this all dissipates by the end of the exhibit, which features Rockwell's renditions of the struggle for civil rights. While Rockwell was working for the Saturday Evening Post, he had to follow their editorial guidelines. And one of their unwritten guidelines was that black people were not to be on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post unless they were portrayed in a subservient position. That was John Coffey, Deputy Director for Art at the North Carolina Museum of Art and Curator of Modern Art and American Art. If you go in the galleries you can see the whole sweep of his work for the Saturday Evening Post all 320 plus covers covering almost 50 years you'd be very hard pressed to find a black person on the cover um, in a Norman Rockwell painting Some of his most uh, astonishing paintings are the ones that do deal with civil rights, and they're noted for a singular lack of humor, because by that time, Rockwell actually was a pretty angry man. He was angry first at himself, I think, for what he had neglected. And it's that anger, or lack of humor, let's say, that that I think is uh, surprising to a lot of people who have a very simplistic idea of of Norman Rockwell based upon a few much-beloved Saturday Evening Post covers. The Problem We All Live With, painted in 1964, is the first civil rights painting to come across in the exhibit. It comes as a striking surprise compared to all the prior paintings. The painting depicts Ruby Hall, a black kindergarten student, being escorted by four federal marshals to her first day of classes at an all-white school in Louisiana. And then you come to a painting of a little girl, black girl, being escorted by federal marshals to school with um, a tomato being um, thrown at her, um, splattering on the wall, and the word nigger being quite obviously on the wall, too. I mean, it is... That is Norman Rockwell. I mean, it's just it's shocking to, to people.
her parents had applied for her to go to an all-white elementary school and, like, countless other black parents across the South in different places. That was NC State history professor Catherine Mellon Sharon. Response of the community and school administrators was such that she needed protection to get in and out of the school. She endured threats. You know, the famous images we have are from Little Rock High School in Arkansas, or Central High School in Little Rock in Arkansas in um, 1957. But that's a high school, so the difference here is that it was an elementary school. No segregation, no segregation, no segregation, no... After viewing the painting, The Problem We All Live With, the next piece in line at the gallery is entitled Murder in Mississippi, depicting the murder of three civil rights activists working in Philadelphia, Mississippi to register black voters in the summer of 1964, also known as Freedom Summer. John Coffey comments. First and foremost, it was a personal re- reaction um, on the part of Rockwell to a terrific injustice uh, and atrocity that he just felt he needed to do something about. And the only thing he could see doing was to create an image. And so he started work on, on that image. History professor Sharon explains the background information of the painting. Um, and they were attempting voter registration, actually, not school integration. They basically, in 63, had a campaign in Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, that was particularly notable and elicited violence. And, but the media, there again, the national media would not cover it, and the federal government, if they were a presence on the ground, like the FBI or something, would simply observe and not step in to help or enforce the law against murdering citizens or attacking citizens or beating citizens. No more shooting. No more shooting. No more shooting. No. Nick decided late in 1963, early 1964, that they would have this project called Freedom Summer, in which they would invite northern, western college students come in for the summer, and do a massive voter registration drive. Rockwell's painting of Murder in Mississippi was featured in Look Magazine's edition entitled Southern Justice. The deaths of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee activists brought civil rights to the national attention. Rockwell's somber painting breaks from the style of everything else in the Raleigh exhibit. Rockwell painted Murder in Mississippi in black and white and placed the dying activist in a moonscape background. Only the shadows of the Ku Klux Klan members that murdered them can be seen. In the center, Michael Schwerner, a Columbia University graduate, holds wounded James Cheney, a black volunteer in Freedom Summer. In front of the lone survivors lays Andrew Goodman, another student from New York. Goodman is dead. The painting displays the terror and injustice of the violence incited by the Klansmen, who happen to be officers at the local sheriff's department. Murder in Mississippi is the last of Rockwell's paintings at the exhibit and is an abrupt way to finish viewing the gallery. Nevertheless, the exhibit would have been uncannily incomplete without it, and despite the heavy sentiments the painting provoked, it is ironically refreshing. In light of the recent Martin Luther King holiday, the exhibit simultaneously provides various perspectives of the struggles for civil rights. The North Carolina Museum of Art, located in Raleigh, 
will feature Norman Rockwell's exhibit until the end of January. From Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. And the time is 7.08 and 45 seconds, and I am Chris Chaffee for Eye on the Triangle. We now turn our attention to the happenings of NC State and beyond with our very own Tyler Vrannon and her fantastic community calendar. Good evening, Tyler. Good evening. Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed your first week back and your long weekend. This week at NC State, there's a social work volunteer career fair. The NC State Department of Social Work invites you to its semi-annual volunteer career fair. Many human service agencies will be on hand to discuss potential volunteer, internship, and employment opportunities. It is Thursday, January 20th from, 4, from 2 to 4 p.m. in the Tally Ballroom. Come find out how you can help the community. Go cheer on your Wolfpack tomorrow night as they take on Duke in basketball at home at 7 p.m. Tomorrow, Wednesday the 19th, the University Dining is putting on the Chill Out Chili Bar at Clark and Fountain Dining Halls. There will be different types of chili, vegetarian included with plenty of sides and toppings to choose from. This is a part of the University's Dining Fair Break series. It is from 10.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. Come enjoy a hot bowl of chili to thaw off from the winter weather. Be more involved at NC State and help the environment at the same time by attending the main campus SSP Town Hall meeting on Thursday, January 20th from 5 to 6 p.m. The campus environmental sustainability team and eight working groups use an open planning process spanning more than a year to ensure full discussion needed for a broadly accepted sustainability strategic plan. They need your input on the progress so far. This week, there are several concerts around the Triangle. J.J. Gray and Mofro and Ponderosa will be at the Lincoln Theater Wednesday, January 19th. If you enjoy rock-solid rhythms, embellishments of organs, horns, and the slide guitar, influenced by southern rock, gritty funk, and classic R&B, and a little bit of country, then this concert's for you. New Jersey's River City Extension is coming to Nightlight in Chapel Hill tonight, the 18th. They recently opened for Man Man. It is a lively eight-piece ensemble. Expect the nightlight to heat up when the show starts at 9.30 p.m. The American Chronicles, The Art of Norman Rockwell, is being held at the NC Museum of Art. This is an incredible exhibit. It is being held from now until January 30th. The Lion King on Broadway is currently at the Durham Performing Arts Center. It is an amazing show, regardless if you're a Disney fanatic or not. The show runs until January 30th. And remember to sign up for the Krispy Kreme Challenge, which will be held February 5th. Thank you so much, Tyler. By the way, that chili uh, cook-off sounds pretty great. I'm pretty excited about it. Also, the CES meetings, very important for the input. And the time now is 7.11 and 26 seconds. And it's now time for weather with Katie Costa. Katie, what's going on out there in the wilds of the weather? Well, as we all know, today it was a pretty cool, crisp day across the Triangle, with temperatures only peaking into the 40s. Now, overnight tonight, we will be getting down to a chilly 39 degrees, with showers likely, so be sure to keep your umbrella handy just in case. Now, currently it is 44 degrees out there with southwest winds at 3 miles per hour, so it feels pretty chilly out there right now. Now, if we take a glimpse at the rest of the week ahead, tomorrow expect it to be warmer with highs reaching 57 degrees. We will see mostly sunny skies, so it is going to be the perfect day to get outside and go for a run. Now, tomorrow night, we will be significantly cooler, however, with temperatures dropping down to freezing. So be sure to really bundle up if you are planning on heading out. 
Now, Thursday, we will be slightly cooler with temperatures in the low 50s, but see mostly sunny skies once again, so an overall pleasant day. Now, overnight Thursday, we will manage to stay above freezing with a low of 37, but it will still be chilly out there, so be sure to still have that coat with you on your way out. Now, we do have another chance for some rain to make its way back into our region overnight Thursday. Now, this is due to a rapidly moving cold front that will be making its way into the Carolinas from the west. Now, this low pressure disturbance will not only be bringing rain with it, but also a blast of cold air, and this will lead to much cooler temperatures across the triangle. Now, the rain from the system should taper off by early morning hours on Friday and make way for mostly sunny skies. Now, Friday, keep in mind, however, that we will feel cooler since temperatures will only be climbing as high as 45. On Friday evening, you will certainly need to get those hat and gloves back out since we will be dropping to as low as 22 degrees. Now, keep in mind that Friday night will be the coldest night out of the week, so definitely dress warm if you are planning on heading out downtown for the evening. And be sure to really bundle up in those winter clothes if you are planning on heading outdoors this weekend because we have a very chilly weekend in store for us with highs only reaching into the 30s on Saturday. Although we will be seeing mostly sunny skies throughout the day, it will still feel very cold out there, so you will definitely be needing to dress warm. Now, temperatures will be dropping down to 21 degrees for Saturday night, but thankfully, Sunday, we will be somewhat warmer with highs reaching into the mid-40s. But we will once again be getting down to below freezing temperatures in the upper 20s for the overnight low Sunday. Now, in case you're wondering, the reason we are expecting such cold temperatures this weekend is because of an upper-level disturbance that will be making its way into our region. Now, in scientific terms, the system is what is referred to as a large-scale upper-level trough. All right, so overall, it looks like tomorrow afternoon is the best time to get outside this week since we will be seeing mostly sunny skies and come close to reaching 60 degrees. Also, Thursday looks like a good day to get out since we will be seeing temperatures in the 50s with sunny skies. Once again, cold temperatures will be returning on Friday and last through the weekend, so enjoy those warmer temperatures while you can. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in for your WKNC forecast here on Eye on the Triangle. Back to you, Chris. Thanks so much, Katie. And sounds like a crazy week out there in weather. And by the way, if you forgot, you are listening to 88.1 WKNC, and it is time, unfortunately, to take a break. However, when we get back, there will be an interview with Tony Thorpe. We sat down. We will sit down with the Wolfpack Environmental Association, and there will be a reading by Robert Nunley for the Windover. And finally, we will talk sports with Taylor Barber. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. I am now joined here in the studio with Mama Thorpe. I I know you have a real name. Now, what is your real name? <laughs> My real name is Tony Harris Thorpe. And now, why do people call you Mama Thorpe? Well, I hope the reason they call me Mama Thorpe is that when you think of a mother's love and you think of unconditional love, you think of a mom. Even though we have young adults at the university, there are often times that you feel the need for a hug or for extra support or a smile. I try to provide that. Sometimes titles can build fences and barriers and so i say to students just call me mom just call me mama and know that i'm here for you your education is far beyond the walls of the classroom so 
I hope that professionally I provide something that empowers you in the classroom, but also I look at the students as a holistic person, a whole person. Now, you work in the African American Cultural Center, which, by the way, is located very close to WKNC (laughs) on the third floor of Witherspoon. What do you do over there? I am the program coordinator, and my key responsibility is to create and promote programs that answer the mission of our center, and our mission is to create awareness of and appreciation for the African-American culture and African-American contributions through programs, workshops, and engaging activities. How does the African-American Cultural Center go about doing that? We work really hard. (laughs) The first thing we do is try to build relationships, get to know the students, work hard with orientation, When students come here, make sure that they understand the presence. We provide tours. And we also have a wide range of programs that engage students in a variety of ways. So we have the book club that meets usually twice a semester. We have lectures. We have um, gallery exhibits. We have a library. We have African American Heritage Society. So through those, we organize events like Heritage Day or the Live Blacks and Wax Museum, which we'll talk about a little later when we talk about programs. Well, you segued right into it. Let's talk a little about programming. Now, okay. this uh, the Blacks on Wax is one of the, my uh, personal favorite things that you guys have done. Tell us a little about that and other things as well that you guys are doing. Okay. Well, the Live Blacks and Wax Museum was conceptualized by a student who's graduated now and she's in medical school called me up and said that she'd like to bring history to life bring african-american history to life and so we came up with the idea of bringing the people on the mural in the cultural center to life and inviting community youth as well as campus their peers and everyone is invited. So the students choose a famous African American of the past, and now we've even com- incorporated a component where they can represent someone who's alive and they learn a speech or a poem or just a bit about the person's life. They dress in character and they stand as a wax figure. And when you come up to the person and greet them, then he or she comes to life. Now, when is this? That particular program will take place on Saturday, February 19th from 10 a.m. until 1130, just before the African-American Quiz Bowl. So you can spend a day in the center. Now, the Quiz Bowl sounds just as good. There's a lot of programming in February. However, the Martin Luther King Day is uh, Monday. We we had it off. And so um, I know that the weather complicated things and Mm Juan Williams was not able to come on that day. How have we rescheduled our um, Martin Luther King Day programming around the weather? Great question. Well, first of all, we have rescheduled. We're fortunate to say that Mr. Juan Williams will appear here on March 3rd. And actually, I think that's a good thing because what we want to express is the desire to keep Dr. King's dream alive all year long. So it would have been wonderful if we could have had it on the 12th. However, it will be just as wonderful in March, and we will still be holding on to Dr. King's dream as we do 12 months of the year. 
Now, I know um, February is Black History Month, but Mm -hmm. we have had some conversations about having black history incorporated throughout the year. Mm -hmm. How does the African-American Cultural Center's vision provide for that? Okay. Well, we look at each month as Black History Month, but I think beyond that, it is World Month. You know, we all want to celebrate the collective culture. I mean, we all bring to the beautiful tapestry of this country many different colors, many different textures, many different beliefs. And so I dream a day that we will celebrate collectively 12 months of the year. However, until that time, we will capitalize on the month of February and promote the center through a heavy variety of programs. We will have our national read-in on February 10th, and we are happy to have Dr. Jason Miller, who is one of our own faculty members, here with his book uh, about Langston Hughes, and that's going to be an exciting night. Then we will have um, the Black Panther exhibit that will open actually at the end of January. January 31st is our opening celebration, but we will have that exhibit up through February and March. We will have the Clark Lecture, and this year we have um, an African-American anthropologist who will come and talk about um, how his work is important in the community. He will also focus on inequities in health care and what we can do about it. You know, one of the things I want to point out is that it's great to have these brilliant lecturers come, but what we want to focus on is what will we do with the knowledge after they leave, you know, to empower the community and to make the world a better place. Now, I know the African-American Cultural Center is making the world a better place. and We hope so. I've asked a lot of questions. Now, what do you think uh, our listeners should know about you guys that they wouldn't know if they didn't walk into the gallery on the second floor or they didn't talk to you? What, What should people know? First, I want them to know that it's here, that the Cultural Center is belongs to everyone, that it's a an African-American wolf pack cultural center. And we have a wonderful library. That's a great place to study. But we also have open arms. And just like many of the wonderful departments here at NC State, we want to make sure that you grow outside of the classroom while you're growing inside of the classroom. We're open to suggestions. You know, if you have a speaker that you've heard that answers our mission, please come and tell us about it. You know, we can't be all places all the time. So I know that there are brilliant minds out there who have heard brilliant voices that represent our mission. Please partner with us, come and visit us, and own the center because it belongs to you. Where can we find out more information if we uh, don't live near or on campus? How can we get in touch with the African American Cultural Center? Well, you can visit our wonderful website that is create that was created by an alumnus of NC State at www.ncsu forward slash AACC. NCSU.edu slash AACC, correct? Correct. Cool. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, Mama Thorpe. Thank you. Well, I am, you know, I love my job and I think that the students here, you know, keep me 
up and cool with what's going on. I love your technology, your ideas, and I look forward to partnering a lot. And you can also email me or call me. Come by the center. It's your house. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. This is fun. WKNC 88.1, you are listening to Eye on the Triangle, and I am your host, Chris Chaffee. The time now is 726, and it's time for sports with Taylor Barber. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. I'm joined here in the studio this evening with Taylor Barber from the Technician Sports. Taylor, there's been quite a lot of sports going on this week. I know the NFL playoffs are in full swing, and... uh, NCAA basketball, ACC play has started as well. So what's up? Well, it was a, uh, if you're a sports fan, you uh, enjoyed this weekend. It was um, a lot of things going on, a lot of NFL football, a lot of upsets there. We saw uh, Packers just go out and dismantle the number one seed uh, Atlanta Falcons on Saturday night. We had uh, Jets beating the Patriots. The only really convincing win that everyone kind of knew was with the Bears uh, taking down the Seahawks. But it was uh, it's an interesting interesting weekend of sports i mean nfl obviously i mean it's always big and it's always watched it but and you've actually seen some good games so far in the playoffs we got heading in ending up you got the uh steelers taking on the jets and uh the bears and packers which you wouldn't have thought you got a lot of rivalry kind of there the jets you know they're going to always be talking with their head coach rex ryan so that will always be interesting and then if you don't watch football and you're kind of a basketball NC State kind of person, you uh, weren't enjoying the game too much on Saturday. It was, uh, once again, NC State just came out like they always do, the, the, the trademark of Sidney Lowe's teams, and they just come out flat. They just come out some games and come out completely flat, and that's what they did down in Florida State. Had a chance to go get a huge road win, something they've not got all year yet. And, I mean, they're running out of chances here. They're t- we've talked about, and we've wanted to go, we've talked about that Sidney Lowe has to make it to the NCAA uh, the tournament, NCAA tournament to get anything if he wants to hope to keep his job in. They're running out of time here, and he's just, he's, play, he's just not getting the guys to play. They don't look challenged at all. Do you think that he will be making an exit at the end of the year? Oh, without a doubt. If he if we don't make it to the NCAA tournament, there's he will be gone without a doubt. And I think he knows it. I think everyone else knows it. It's just you can't come here and expect where football or if not football, but basketball is so big. You're right in the triangle here. You have everything. You have Carolina. You have Duke. They've done things. You've had time to get your players in. You have your best players you're going to get here. In. You got CJ Lesser. You got that point guard you've always talked about with Ryan Harrow that's able to score, able to dribble, that kind of thing. You've got everything that he's been making excuses for in the past four years, and he's not doing it. He's not cutting up. So, how do, uh, do you think that a team like NC State and a coach like Sidney Lowe can engage players like CJ Leslie? Well, he's, I think he just needs. I, that's a tough question. I think the problem is he can't get them to listen. He can't get them to buy in to his system, or he's just not a good coach. He's a heck of a recruiter. I mean, that's one thing you can say, that he's brought the talent. But once he gets that talent here, he's been completely unable to get them to do what he's doing. Maybe he's just trying to run things that aren't right. I mean, it just they don't really – I don't think they're buying into the system, and they don't play hard, and that's all on the coach. Now, uh, 
We got a big, another big week in sports coming up this week. Uh, what do we have to look forward to? Well, a chance for NC State basketball to get that huge big win, the big resume building win that the tournament selection committee will look for, and that's against Duke when they come here. I was calling for that we would be the first team to beat Duke all year. Obviously, Florida State took care of that last week. But Duke's coming into our place. We beat them last year here. I think we match up very well against Duke. They have good front court or back court play with Nolan Smith, obviously really good. But they don't have the depth down low to match up against. Who's going to stop Tracy Smith down low? Mason Plumley? I don't think so. Who's going to stop? Be able to stop Leslie if he comes out and plays well? Ha- uh, Richard Howell, that kind of thing. If he can get. If we can get the ball down low and run that kind of game plan, I think we have as good a chance as anyone in the ACC to knock off Duke again and give them the second loss in the past three games. Now it's a lot of exciting ACC uh, coverage to look forward to, especially since uh, in the wake of Camp Out, which was on Saturday night, uh, our annual Camp Out, where we go and freeze our butts off all night to Camp Out for Carolina tickets. Uh, looking forward. First of all, did you Camp Out? Oh, I did. I made it through the night. It was a uh, it was a blast. A lot of free food. A lot of stuff. It wasn't as cold as last year, so that wasn't as bad. But uh, good times. Well, thanks so much, Taylor Barber, as always. Uh, Sports for Technician. We will look forward to hearing from you again next week. No problem. See you then. WKNC 88.1. My name is The third Chris Monday of January Tyler. is a U.S. federal holiday. WKNC 88.1. Little technical difficulties up here in the studio. I am Chris Chaffee, your host for Eye on the Triangle. Thank you so much, Taylor, for that great sports. Uh, racial, apathy, racial apathy is something that has deep effects in our society. And this week, Jacob went to try and find out how that works and why it happens um, as so often as it does. And, and after that, we'll have our pick of the week, which is written and uh, read by our very own John Gomes. So stay tuned to 88.1. The third Monday of January is a U.S. federal holiday that not only commemorates the birthday of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., but it is also used by many Americans to mark the victories of the Civil Rights Movement, including the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, effectively ending legal discrimination based on race, color, religion, and national origin within the United States. Yet if I were to tell you that racial inequality and oppression has been eliminated, the best outcome I could hope for would be that you would laugh at my naivety. To get answers on how social scientists study racial inequality in the colorblind era, I'm joined by Dr. Kim Ebert, an assistant professor of sociology at North Carolina State University. Would you consider the civil rights movement successful? Yes, absolutely. Uh, The civil rights movement was very successful in eliminating legal discrimination. Uh, So it's no longer legal to discriminate on the basis of race and ethnicity and housing, employment and whatnot. And it was successful in sparking a number of racial and ethnic movements and organizations and other organizations on the basis of identity. So it was it was very successful in many ways, but it was not successful in eliminating inequality. It's still persistent because we haven't figured out a way to eliminate it. The sort of basis of inequality was that the foundations were laid before the civil rights movement occurred, and because we haven't challenged or sort of figured out how to eliminate inequality, we haven't we haven't been able to. So, even if you know racism, discrimination were to uh, disappear overnight, we still would have inequalities because 
I mean, people, because they're born into um, unequal neighborhoods, go to schools that are that are um, unequal and, and don't have the same um, resources, we don't have equality of opportunity. So even if we have these uh, programs such as affirmative action, they aren't going to lead to equality of result or even, you know, even approach equality of result because we haven't even established equality of opportunity. Our culture is one that likes to think of itself as being a meritocracy, or at least no one would want to report themselves as being unfair. How do social scientists then attempt to measure inequality? Sociologists and other social scientists measure inequality by looking at things such as net worth, looking at people's or households' assets, everything they own, all their wealth, and then subtract their debt. So if we look at just comparing average white households' net worth and average black households' net worth, white households have like six times the net worth of black households. So just that's one measure of inequality. Other measures are um, looking at access to health care, comparing infant mortality rates, comparing um, cancer rates, looking at employment, access to employment, and types of employment and types of occupations different racial and ethnic groups are in. Also education, education levels, where people are going to school, what types of degrees they are getting, and then what types of jobs that these degrees sort of lead them to. So there's lots of measures of that can, you know, that can help us to compare the outcomes of different racial and ethnic groups. I look at how it's maintained through ideological strategies, so how people explain inequality, explain why it still exists. So that's coming with the assumption that people acknowledge that there is some sort of inequality and they're explaining why it exists. There's a, a sociologist at Princeton, Diva Pager, who does research on um, employers' employment discrimination. So they're basic audit studies that people who have identical CVs um, and the only thing that differentiates them are their race or ethnicity and they send send them to the send the CV or sorry the resumes to different um, employers and they find that uh, a white man with a criminal background has a better chance of getting a job than a black man with no criminal background doing these types of undercover investigations are very important to find out that that discrimination still persists so discrimination is one way we can explain persistent inequality but even if discrimination didn't exist, inequality would persist because of this cumulative disadvantage because whites have had access to housing for a long time and they a lot of our wealth is established and accumulated because of our, our equity, our home equity. So because people of color haven't had that access for that long a time, they haven't sort of gained the type of wealth that white households have without acknowledging and doing something about that cumulative disadvantage, inequality is going to persist regardless of whether or not racism and discrimination persists. Has the presidency of Barack Obama had an impact on the discussion of racial inequality? The election of Obama is symbolic and it's very important for a number of reasons. One is that people can point to his election and say, see, we're no longer 
racist in America. We don't have problems of, with racial and ethnic discrimination because we elected a black man. So that's one way of sort of these groups and organizations and individuals dismissing um, claims of inequality and discrimination. Um, but he's just one man. So studying racial and ethnic inequality in this era of Obama is more difficult because of the popular and public discourse of colorblindness, which basically says that we're a ra- racial meritocracy in the United States. Any inequalities that happen are the result of individual deficiencies, and therefore nothing systematic should be done to address these inequalities. So it's hard to study racial and ethnic inequalities and discrimination in this era. But colorblindness is just one of, you know, the sort of uh, discourses that are going around. Others are focusing on the importance of diversity and multiculturalism, which is also problematic in some ways, because just by focusing on the importance of diversity and multiculturalism, that's one way of sort of celebrating our cultures and um, different races and ethnicities without acknowledging the vast disparities that are occurring. So it's, it's problematic in those ways. So there are different discourses. Another one is this idea that comes from sociologist Tyrone Foreman that it's, we're not just colorblind, we're apathetic. There's racial apathy in the United States. People might know about racial disparities, but they probably don't know. They're, they're ignorant of these disparities. And, and furthermore, they don't care. So they're not going to do anything about it, even if they are aware of these inequalities. They're not going to be civically engaged uh, members of organizations. Uh, they're not going to do anything about it, even if they are aware of the inequalities. When personal apathy is present, what are steps individuals can take to get past that? That's hard. I mean, one thing that I try to focus on in my race and ethnicity course is encouraging students to be more introspective and philosophical about their experiences, um, racial and ethnic experiences in their life. So realizing, you know, where they were born, what street they grew up in, what schools they went to, they had differential access and opportunities that their race, even if they hadn't acknowledged it before, might be important so to just think more about it so it's hard to encourage students to become involved if they aren't really engaged in it in the first place so the first step is to sort of encourage them to be more introspective about their own lives about their own racial and ethnic histories as an instructor have you noticed a change in students willingness to talk about and deal with racial inequality this morning (laughs) i think i feel that they are going to be more comfortable talking about race. I think this generation, I mean, but, you know, other mornings or other days I may feel differently, but I just think this generation is much more comfortable talking about race and ethnicity than than just 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm kind of hopeful in terms of discussing race and ethnicity, but in terms of uh, doing anything about it or anything sort of going towards racial and ethnic inequality, I, I have less hope or I'm less optimistic about um, racial and ethnic equality in the future than I am about people being more comfortable talking about race and ethnicity. Those are two different things, but 
I hope they're related, but I don't know if they are. Thank you, Dr. Ebert, for joining us in a discussion on why racial inequality is still an issue post-civil rights movement. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jacob Downey. WKNC 88.1. I am Chris Chaffee, and you are listening to I'm the Triangle. Now it's time for the Pick of the Week with John Gomes. 2010 proved to be an eventful year. Despite all the terrible moments, earthquakes, oil spills, that bad call in the Maryland football game, this year saw the release of some great albums. I highly recommend my personal top five list for your listening pleasure. Number one, the Aesir, Odd Blood. A sophomore release from this eclectic group is a warm, pop-infused masterpiece. A curious departure from the darkness of their 2007 debut album, Yaysayer introduces huge pulsing scents and primal rhythms into their sound, resulting in some infectiously upbeat and organic numbers. Odd Blood isn't one-dimensional, however. The album features a couple of heavier, darker tracks to balance out the pop sound. Yaysayer remains experimental as ever, exploring everything from R&B to Middle Eastern dance music. The end result is a well-rounded, highly enjoyable album, and bonus points for the band self-producing it. Number two, Arcade Fire, The Suburbs. Possibly the most anticipated album of the year, Arcade Fire's third release garnered universal praise. Like Odd Blood, The Suburbs represents a new sonic direction for Arcade Fire. Gone are the Baroque sounds and grand crescendos that define the band's sound. Instead, the album maintains a latent energy throughout every song, steadfast rhythms layered with rich textures and tones. These elements form the perfect vehicle for the album's main concept. Innocence and coming of age set in the backdrop of suburbia. Poignant and Poise, The Suburbs, is Arcade Fire's best release yet. Number three, Best Coast, Crazy For You. Though many artists are doing the retro surf rock thing nowadays, Best Coast does it best. The group is led by Bethany Cosentino, whose approach is refreshingly simple. Reverb heavy guitars, easy chord progressions, and honest lyrics about boys, her cat, or getting high. Sure seems like a third grader can write these songs. One day I'll make him mine and we'll be together all the time. But there's beauty in the simplicity. The songs on Crazy For You are little pieces of pop perfection. They're sweet, short, and will stay in your head for days. Put this album on and you'll feel like you're on the beach. Number four, Broken Social Scene. Forgiveness Rock Record. Broken Social Scene is a rather apt name for the group whose massive lineup continuously changes. With so many band members playing so many instruments and adding so many sounds and textures, Forgiveness Rock Record is inevitably orchestral and grandiose. Each song exhibits a different dimension of beauty, from the majestic climaxes of Worldsick to the melodic angularity of Art House Director. Though not as cohesive as previous albums, Forgiveness Rock Record is still a classic Broken Social Scene. Lush, resplendent, and larger than life. Number five, Caribou, Swim. Dan Snaith, who operates under the name Caribou, is an electronica artist and a British mathematician. Naturally, you wouldn't expect those two things to go together. Swim evokes the same reaction with its out-of-left-field collection of tracks. 
Flip-floppy synths, divine bell chimes, and even jazzy flute flourishes all coalesce atop powerful, danceable grooves, while whispery vocals echo and modulate in and out of your consciousness. This is not your father's electronica album. Each and every song evolves into something surreal at the end, with elements of rock, jazz, and psychedelica thrown in the mix. Out of all the albums on this list, Swim sounds the most transcendental. Well, that does it for my picks for 2010, and here's hoping that 2011 will have some great music as well. For Eye of the Triangle, I'm John Gomes. WKNC 88.1, you are listening to I and the Triangle. The time is 7.46. I'm now joined in the studio here with uh, some folks from WISA, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, is the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association. Uh, please, guys, uh, who am I talking to today? Who's in the studio with me? Um, my name is Katie McKnight, and I'm a junior. I'm one of the co-presidents of WISA. Um, I'm Sonam Naruker, and I'm also a junior, and I'm the other co-president of WISA. Um, I'm Sam Walker. I'm also a junior, and I'm one of the committee heads. Cool. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Yeah. Um, so, guys, talk a little about what WISA is and what WISA does. Well, WISA is an on-campus organization that has a lot of sustainable initiatives. Um, our focus is on the environment, as you can probably tell by our name. Uh, we have a fairly large organization, and we do different booths in the Brickyard. We coordinate trips. Um, we went on a trip to Wilmington, and we're planning on a trip to uh, Washington, D.C., but we'll mention that later. And, um, yeah, we won the Think Outside the Brick competition last year and created Soul Gardens, which is the first on-campus community garden at NC State. Cool. So uh, I guess you guys could start talking. Uh, give us a little um, idea of what... What Think Outside the Brick is, because um, that kind of segues into all of the things you are talking about. What is inside, uh, Think Outside the Brick? Well, it was a competition through student government, um, and it was based off of student, um, student uh, ideas of how we can make our campus more sustainable. Right, and uh, I think right. They also gave a prize for the for the organization that had the best idea. Yeah, it was a one thousand dollar prize uh, to kind of get the idea implemented throughout the year. Right now, um, I've heard that last year's uh, winner was also a WISA idea. Correct? Yes, it was. Now, what was that? Um, it was Soul Garden. And what is the Soul Garden? It's the first on campus community garden at NC State, and this year we actually were a second. Um, time winner in a row, and I have one of the writers of the grant sitting beside me, Sonam Naruker. <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little about Sonam. Um, well, I worked with three other people, um, Eliza Jones, Zach Schnell, and Brian Maxwell, and uh, we came up with this idea of a solar gazebo on campus where um, we could basically have a gazebo with solar panels on the outside, and um, people could go and sit in there and charge their laptops and cell phones while waiting for class or if they just wanted to go sit in there and enjoy campus. But um, so we're working on that now. We're talking to student government and landscape architecture and just trying to find people that um, will help us implement the idea. However, um, we're not sure if the gazebo part's going to really work out. And um, 
But we're definitely going to have the solar panels, so it's something to look forward to. So it seems that part of Think Outside the Brick is also kind of modifying your idea to fit the campus, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, So what other things are you guys doing this year? You mentioned like a camping trip. I know you went to, uh, where where did you go last semester? We went to Raven Rock. Yeah. Yeah, it was about an hour and a half drive. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that was really fun. We tried to do a... um, a trip once a semester, and this semester we're actually going to Power Shift in Washington, D.C., which is a youth conference on climate change, and it's on April 1st through the 4th, so we're going to be driving up there if anyone's interested in coming with us. Anyone's welcome to um, join. It's a really great time. You go to different panels and discussions, speakers. There's bands that come and play. It's a huge ordeal, and it's really fun. Now, you guys have gone in years past, correct? Yeah. Yes, we went last year. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's cool. Um, Katie and I actually organized um, the PowerShift trip in 2009, and we got about 33 people from NC State. And it's always great to have a large number of people from your um, university to represent your university. So it's great. Now, what else uh, do you guys have planned? I know the big event for all environmental everything is uh, Earth Day. Um, is there some stuff in the works for Earth Day this year? You, do you want to talk about the book exchange? Oh, we were thinking about having a book exchange. So if you have an old book and want to swap it out for a new one, something different to read up on, just bring a book in the brickyard on April 22nd. That's Earth Day, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that should be pretty fun. Yeah, and we have some other things planned, um, some surprises, I'd like to say. So we don't really want to give it all away, but yeah. Can you give really us a cool. teaser? Um, let's just say there will be music and dancing involved. We'll just say that. That's pretty sweet. Now, what else uh, is going on with WISA this year? Um, well, we are actually going to try to show more documentaries that have to do with the environment. And so we'll be starting a documentary series. And um, the first one is actually on February 2nd. It will be called The Idiot, or it's the Idiot Cycle Documentary. And um, actually, the uh, filmmakers contacted WISA, and they said that um, it's – they wanted us to show it along with other universities around the nation and around the world because of World Cancer Day. And so this um, documentary will be dealing with the effects of the environment with cancer and should be really interesting. So we'll be having that on February 2nd at 7 p.m., but we don't have the location set yet, so we'll let you guys know. That's really interesting. That's very interesting. I'm curious to see you guys... First of all, you do a lot of stuff with education. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do any uh, lobbying, uh, you know, to change policy? Um, I know environmental issues, they're uh, a scientific issue, but also a political issue. That's a really great point. And actually on Power Shift um, on April 1st through the 4th on the last day, we'll, that whole day is dedicated to going to Capitol Hill and lobbying with politicians and trying to get some um, – policies change to better our environment and have stricter um, laws to help the effects of climate change. Um, I want to add on to that, but um, we are actually, our group really focuses on the positive outlook on the environment, and we don't want to focus that much on politics because we don't want to discriminate against any person in our group or the people that would be interested based on their political views. Get bogged down in the, in the debate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a very good point. And we also wanted to mention another huge event that Weeza is putting on, an alley cat race. And we have Samantha Walker here in the studio with us, and she'll tell you all about it. Now, you are like the resident alley cat expert, correct? Um, 
I guess we're hosting an alley cat with Triangle Fixies. Um, it's a bike blog that one of our friends runs, and it's going to be on March 19th. Our friend Willie Hardy, just throwing it out there. Who's a great American, to say the least. Now, what else... Um, <laughs> What else goes along with organizing an alley cat race? I'm sure there's been a lot of preparation. You, yeah. If you already know when it is and it's only like January and it's in March, correct? Yeah, we started planning back in November and we completed the route. So it's going to be really awesome and everybody should definitely come out. And we are officially sponsored by PBR and they're going to give us awesome prizes. And we are looking for more sponsors. So if you're interested, you should definitely email Lisa. Cool. So I guess that does lead into the next thing. Um, how can we get in touch with Wisa if we are um, we are curious about learning more? I know that uh, on our website, which is wknc.org slash EOT, you can look at our blog post and click on the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association link, and it will take you to their Facebook page. Now, where else can we get in touch with you, like email addresses? What What else? You can email us at mail.wisa at gmail.com. That's M-A-I-L dot W-E-S-A at gmail.com. And you can just uh, tell us your name and your email address, and we'll put you on our listserv. Or if you have any specific questions about the events we mentioned, just let us know, and we'll be sure to answer them for you. Cool. Now, one last question. You guys, you guys meet, right? You have meetings. Do you want to tell us about oh, when your meetings are? Well, we are actually trying to figure that out for the new semester. Um, we are trying to see what time works best for all of our officers. And um, we will be letting everyone know in the next week because our first meeting will be next week. Fantastic. Well, Wisa, thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks. Cool. Cool. Well, The Windover has been NC State's premier literary magazine for many years, and every spring it is offered free of charge around campus. And now, here at Eye on the Triangle, we wanted to bring you some of the voices of the authors reading some of their original work here on our show. And this week, we are going to be uh, hearing from uh, a student by the name of Robert Nunley. So, without further ado, take it away, Robert. With Robert Nunley. Tell me a little about yourself, Robert. Um, I'm a sophomore. I'm a creative writing major here at State. Well, uh, what are you going to read today? Um, I have four poems with me today. Um, they're titled Every Smile, Disappearing Act, On a Public Bus, and Masochism. Cool. Robert, take it away. Okay. The first poem I'm going to read is called On a Public Bus. We sit in silence, you and I, and he, and she, and they living in our own worlds that we choose to confine in small, singular seats where no one speaks. Two friends spot each other, move closer, and do the unthinkable. They speak, and about the weather no less, the gall these people have. But then the amazing occurs. An average man, sitting in silence, chimes into the conversation and is welcomed. I watch as the three smile, sharing their thoughts, and I cannot help but share mine. Seats are small for minds the size of worlds. Uh, this next one is Disappearing Act. Come one, come all, gather round, drawn by the sound of my voice, openly declaring my intentions. Today I will give you a gift of illusions thought impossible until now. Wait, I know you. Yes, you, the beautiful woman in the second row. You are so familiar. Am I the same to you? What an auspicious event you're coming to my show. I recall the final moments that we spent together performing illusions thought impossible. Even now, 
But you drew back the curtain and had disappeared then, in a manner Houdini himself would have envied. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in honor of this lovely guest, I will perform a special trick. Watch as I make love itself disappear. Masochism. I hear of masochists, those who hurt themselves to feel alive, facing stigmas for their actions out of place in our, in our society of survival. But as I look around, I see a different breed of masochist, less concerned with the physical, more with the emotional. Again and again, their poor, fragile heart, broken, shattered, shoddily rebuilt, only to be presented to another and another, each leaving more scars than the last. Why try? Surely they know what is to come, a cheating love, a quick dismissal, a sudden change of heart. They are the victims of it all. Why do they press on, I ask? And then, I know, I suddenly know. And my final poem is entitled, Every Smile. Every smile is a victory. No, not a smile upon my lips. That will come in time. There are other faces, other pairs of lips, that often do not smile, or so it would seem, when I see them on the street for the first and only time. One can use anything as a weapon in this battle against the average. How matters little in the end when victory is claimed. But what matters most to me is you, the decisive skirmish in the war within, for your smile has a way of shining brighter than all those before, and when I bring a smile to those lips, I cannot help but reflect it on the home front. Thanks for coming in today, Robert. Thank you. The time is 8.59 p.m., and that about wraps up this week's edition of Iron the Triangle. I want to ta- thank Taylor Barber, Taylor Vrannon, Margaret May, Jacob Downey, Tommy Anderson for their contributions, the technician for their help and collaboration, the Windover for their authors, Assistant Public Affairs Director Mark Herring for all of his great work, the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association, Tony Thorpe, the North Carolina Museum of Art, and you, of course, the listener. Now, if you have a comment or concern, email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org or call us at 919-628-0869. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Eye on the Triangle. And if you want to see our blog, it's wknc.org slash EOT. However, if you're more of the snail mail type, our uh, physical address is WKNC 88.1 FM, Attention Public Affairs, Campus Box 8607, 343 Witherspoon Cinema, uh, Student, 343 Witherspoon Student Center, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27695. Now, coming up next week, we'll have a cutting from the play Blue, brought to you by the Burning Cold Theater, a story for the one-year anniversary of the Haiti earthquake, a story from Tommy Anderson about a new venue in Raleigh, and much more. For Eye on the Triangle, I am Chris Chaffee, and we will see you next week.